Hi, I'm Ed Kessler and welcome to Encounter. Today we're talking about artificial intelligence. What role does AI play in questions about religion and belief? Does AI shed any light on the existence or non-existence of God? My guest today is Dr. Beth Singler. I am Dr. Beth Singler. I am the research associate on the Human Identity in an Age of Nearly Human Machines project at the Faraday Institute for Science and Religion in Cambridge. So what was it that got you interested in AI? It's just, it's, yeah. There must be a story there. What got, what, what got you going? Well, I am fairly happy to admit I am a huge geek. So I've always been interested in science fiction. Like I, I had an addiction to Star Trek from a really young age. So I got to see, you know, if anyone knows Star Trek Next Generation, the character of Lieutenant Data, who is an android. He has a very advanced form of artificial intelligence. I don't think they refer to it quite in that way. So from a very early age, I had this concept of of the being that is created. And really, actually looking at artificial intelligence didn't come until this particular postdoc that I'm on now. But my research has always been people's modern conceptions of technology and how they weave those into their worldviews. So although I wasn't looking specifically at AI and robotics, I was looking at sort of general technology and science and also digital technology, it made sense to kind of follow that geeky path that I'd started out on and go back and think again about how we conceive of machines that might think. So in a way, you're a Trekkie. Is that fair yeah, to say? Yeah, I'm a Trekkie. Have I'm, you been I'm... to any of these great meetings? <laughs> I have been to many large comic convention type things. I haven't been to specific Star Trek conventions. I haven't dressed up as a hero or anyone else. But yeah, I'm a fan and I don't, I don't see anything wrong with admitting I, I, that. I confess that I watched a lot of Star Trek as a kid, but this is the older series probably than the, the, the present one. And every so often, I think, when I open my phone, I always have the image of Captain Kirk opening his phone. Well, yes. Yeah. Technology can follow science fiction, where people have the aspiration and the ideas, and then it's followed through with the technology. Of course, we're particularly interested in impact on religion and, mm. and belief. Where does AI fit into the whole religious questions? I mean, does AI tell us anything about the existence or non-existence of God? Technology as a whole provides us with new ways of imagining the world. So you can look historically and say, with the introduction of things like movable type, with the introduction of the telegraph, people had new ways of imagining how things were connected, how things worked. And artificial intelligence provides you with yet another interpretation of what it is to be human. So just the replication of human intellect through technology has a kind of reflexive effect on how we understand our own human intelligence. And you get more computer metaphors. We start talking about like downloading things into our minds and uploading and memory and storage and all these different metaphors. So it's not always that the technology shapes religion in particular ways, but it gives new languages for technology, for religion to use when referring to the world. And changes the world in ways that religion would need to respond to as well. So it's a kind of religious vocabulary, it extends mm. the religious vocabulary. And vice versa. So right. technologists use religious vocabulary, even when they might profess to be a very So they, they use things like the end days or, or the, a crash with a capital C? I mean, yeah, what, what? so some of my work's been looking at transhumanists who are technology-focused people who primarily will proclaim some form of atheism. I mean, that's a huge generalisation, but on the whole. And 
still, even in those atheist spaces, they'll talk about like, you know, the end of the world, come up with conceptions of a superintelligence that has attributes that you might align with a concept of a god, like the singularity, fears about punishment by that singularity if we don't behave in particular ways. And they're not entirely like unaware of this use of religious trope and narrative. They have they have an understanding of where their ideas come from and their cultural context. But that that does mean that the, the sort of the shapings, even if they aren't overtly religious, are very familiar to us. But there's, isn't there a difference between the resemblance mm. and and the sort of what you might call the outer trappings, and then asking some of the sort of big questions yeah. that theology asks? Yeah, so I think in some cases there's a sort of sense of memory loss or ahistoricism. They're asking very similar questions that religion has asked for centuries, but not necessarily feeling that religion is a resource that they want to use. Um, again, this is a generalisation, but there, there can be a caricature of religion as irrational and something that technology will help us to leave behind as we evolve. So therefore, they don't necessarily want to look back at the great thinkers of religion. They may look back at the secular philosophers and say, you know, these people had ideas that are useful, but they are on their own sort of coming up with the same sort of questions um, and filling in their own answers that sometimes look very similar to answers we've already been given. So you could kind of touched on the desecularization thesis, mm. you know, or the secularization thesis in the 60s, that as we become more mm. advanced, we become yeah. less religious. And, and people bought into that, didn't they, in the yes. 60s and 70s and 80s. Yeah. But it's shifted, hasn't it, in the last... Yeah decade or two the sort of the the return or the vengeance mm. of religion however yeah. you want to say it and people are much more aware of that role has that impacted at all on on your work in AI so yeah was one of the things I'm quite interested in is in cross-cultural comparisons and assumptions about why some cultures are more accepting or less accepting about AI and robotics and one of the assumptions you come across is, is based on that secularization thesis that in the west I'm doing quotation marks in the west we have become more rational and enlightened and we've been through this process and we no longer talk to spirits we're educated and you know we don't need that irrationality whereas in the east again quotation marks countries like Japan uh, with animist backgrounds and Shinto and Buddhism that they are more inclined to see spirits everywhere and therefore they're more comfortable with AI robotics and that is a gross parody and it does draw very heavily on that same secularization thesis. I'm, I'm probably more along the lines in my work looking, I've looked at many new religious movements that perhaps like Latour said, we've, we've never really been modern. Modern is a, is a device for marking out we're great and other people are not so great because they're not modern and I don't agree with that. I mean, one of these things I saw in your, in your CV that intrigued me and I can't mm. help but ask you about <laughs> your research on Jedism and Scientology. Yes. So does this, does this play into what you just said? Yes, absolutely. So both Jediism and Scientology can be said to have science fiction roots. They can also be said to be based on a conception of a form of science, Jediism, a different kind of science. Both involve groups of people who have felt like they need an explanation for the universe in a particularly scientific artistic perhaps direction so there's certainly that aspect and also that I think as I said with the the assumptions of the secularization thesis that we wouldn't have these forms of self-proclaimed enchantment anymore we can keep pointing to where they pop up groups like the Jedi or the Scientologists are a good example but I think in general we we have more enchantment going on in our lives if we aren't overtly religious or we don't claim to any particular religiosity there are still examples of people who you know the knocking on words superstitions the, the the ways we describe how the world works the the kind of spiritual but not religious tag that gets sociologists of religion used very excited yes. Oh, yes yes so there's there's lots of ways i think in which we are much more 
uh, we are living in a much more enchanted world than some of that rhetoric around secularization would allow for. Producer David Perry, do you, do you want to come in? I, I guess one of the things we should look at is misuse yes. of this technology. Mm. And it's a question of safeguarding, who guards mm. the guards. Yes. And I was thinking of Philip K. Dick's work in this. I, I'm sure that's something yes. you've looked at as well. Oh, absolutely. Blade Runner, or mm. Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, as the origin book, is a great working out of what, what does it mean to interact with beings that, for all extents and purposes, have minds. And the, the test in the Blade Runner series is about working out, like, you know, do they have the same kinds of minds as humans? So you have the kind of the kind of police detective structure to the story of finding out who are the people we can trust and who can't. It's a very kind of Cold War narrative of who, who are passing, uh, a la the Turing test, who's passing for human and who is actually human and how can we work that out? I mean, that's uh, in, in the science fiction world of Blade Runner and similar, that's worked out at the kind of like gumshoe level. But if we're talking about abuses of artificial intelligence at uh, the corporate level you know we need to think about governmental regulation and there's lots of debate about how that works out whether corporations have become too large and unwieldy for single governments to deal with because they're transnational they exist in in an almost virtual way they are as um, David Runciman says in um, Good in the Machine our third film they're artificial agents corporations are artificial agents almost in the way that we think artificial intelligence is so maybe we need to fix the artificial agents before we can start thinking about fixing artificial intelligence. Do you think we need a sort of global structure guideline as to how to deal with this stuff? At the moment, and you know, I'm connected to this in several ways through the institutes I work with as well, there are a proliferation of research institutes and organisations thinking about how we get to good AI. Um, and that means there's lots of conversations going on with um, many, many different stakeholders, and that's wonderful, but it does also mean a proliferation of guidelines, and it's not always clear how guidelines get implemented into actuality, that if you've got you know, your startup tech company using machine learning to scrape data from Facebook or whatever, how does that join up, that independent entrepreneurial model join up to the regulations, regulations of a government or the Lord's AI Select Committee statement on what good regulation should look like? There, there's a big cavern between them, big canyon of, of not integrating the, the kind of the top down and the bottom up. It's difficult. I don't have an answer. No. I mean, you mentioned Good in the Machine, which is mm. the third in, in, in the series of films that you've done, isn't yes. it? You've done uh, Pain in the Machine. And what was the first one? No, the first was Pain in the Machine. The second was Friend in the Machine. And the third is Good in the Machine. And eventually there'll be Ghost in the Machine, the fourth. Now, that was an intriguing title. I've seen the title, Ghost in the Machine. Yes. And again, you're, you're, you're playing on these words, sort of this religious vocabulary mm. and sort of enticing the viewer. Yes. But I want to push you a bit more on the religiosity aspect, because it's one thing to expand one's vocabulary mm -hmm. whether you're religious or secular but there's more than that because you are creating you're involved in artificial intelligence which thinks for itself it's a sentient mm -hmm. being that has a soul has I mean is there something there is there a fundamental difference between artificial intelligence at the most mm -hmm. advanced stage and the human well, I, I mean, I can only really answer as an anthropologist, so I won't, I won't try and make any kind of profound theological 
decisions on this, but I think you can see a variety of voices from religious groups trying already to get to some sort of coherence on an answer to that. That at some point, if the technology continues in the direction it's going and there are people out there specifically wanting to develop, to develop sentient machines, this is not just science fiction, there are some groups who want to look at consciousness and mind and get that you know, to human equivalent level, if that's the direction the technology is going in, what should we be preparing for? Should we be preparing for having to have a debate about rights? Should we be preparing for a debate about religious machines? Um, should we be worrying about the displacement of the human at the top of the food chain? I mean, you know, the, to go down the really dystopic line, it, in science fiction it's assumed when is, as soon as you turn on the machine, Skynet, you get terminators. Um, I mean, I don't necessarily hold to that view, but that's, that's a concern. You've asked the questions. So how would you answer that question? Is the answer yes to all of those questions? My, my greater concern at the moment is what I jokingly call invisible killer robots. So let's not worry too much about the terminators. Let's worry about how artificial intelligence, machine learning algorithms are being employed now to change people's lives for good or for ill and who's in charge of that. And I think religion does have have a, an important part to add to that conversation because socioeconomic change means we need community and religion is one way to develop community and to have answers to the questions like what is a human for when you take away primary attribute of work. Yes, your questions about work and also the human body, what, yeah. you know, and questions of human dignity. Absolutely. So there's there's a religious contribution to be made to the conversation. Yeah. But I'm also interested in, and I'm sure you've done some work on this, in in how religions have responded mm. to the this world of AI and, and used it. Can, can I imagine a time when I would be taught as a minister of religion by artificial intelligence to teach me my doctrine mm. as a Christian mm. or to teach Torah to me if I'm a Jew or uh, teach me about Sunnah if I'm a Muslim? Can I imagine that time? Well, absolutely. I mean, it very, very recently, I think like a month ago, the Church of England released an add-on for Alexa the chatbot, which was not about taking the role of the priest. It was, it was about the Lord's Prayer. It was the Lord's it? Prayer. It could teach you how to recite the Lord's Prayer. And they were very keen to say, Alexa is not praying or praying for you, Alexa is showing you how you might pray in a Christian way. So you don't have to get too far to see this interaction of technology and religion. And some of my, my previous research was more on um, earlier forms of technology and how they were taken up or adopted or rejected by religion. And I looked at cinema. Um, and you can see a very strong through line with evangelical Christianity of absolute rejection of the cinema. You should not be in the cinema when Jesus returns. That's like the absolute flea pit of humanity to actually let's start making films and then let's start using Hollywood's techniques and you get like the kind of horror trope in evangelical films you can see the same sorts of patterns perhaps in other forms of technology so perhaps we go through these waves of rejection adoption adaption and I can see examples of rejection the Church of England app is an example of ad adaption and eventually we get to a stage of just it's ubiquitous and it's almost invisible and everyone's just using it. It's all like going back to the vernacular Bible. I suppose, yeah, I suppose the difference being perhaps the interactivity of AI that it would perhaps present itself as a person whether accurately or not, whether it has a mind or not, but presentation of personhood and that's where difficulties might arise where it's treated as a person when it's not and whether that would reflect on our ability to treat human persons as persons. Um, I think the conversation around that can find its roots in the discussion of philosophy around our treatment of non-human persons, already animals. 
so some of the things we're bringing up are already quite familiar questions of, you know, if it has the intelli- intelligence to do this, should we treat it in this way if it has the intelligence to do that? And looking at like the, our treatment of animals, we, we're not always great at that. Or even our treatment of human beings. Yes, because one of the things that, that came out in Pain in the Machine is, mm. you know, the question of do machines feel pain? Yeah. Probably not. But we think they do because mm. we, we put that pain on them that yeah. we would feel if I was kicked or if I was pushed Absolutely. over. So maybe I can see how artificial intelligence can shed light on ourselves mm. because we look at what's happening outside of us and then we kind of reflect it back into, into yeah. the way that we live and we think. One of the worries that I have as a teacher of religion is... If, if I teach doctrine, for example, I would tend to give different views. Mm. You know, this is a piece of scripture and there would be alternative views of that scripture. Yeah. And I might even let the students decide which ones, let them work it out for themselves. Now, if I tell them the right view of scripture, mm. there's not much room. And so one of the worries, of course, is how artificial intelligence, if it gets involved in the, the teaching of theology and the training mm. of ministers and future religious leaders, they know, really do know what's right in theory. Yeah, so the, one of the, the key concerns with artificial intelligence is human bias going into it. So who gets to decide which is the right scripture and how it should be interpreted? I mean, the machine learning algorithm has to pick that up from somewhere. It'll be in a data set or it'll be in direct instructions in some way. So that's a concern. There's also, I mean, the very kind of extreme parody of religion you get in some technologist interpretations of what's the right way to codify ethics. So there's this really fantastically terrible short story called The Jesus Singularity by Zoltan Istvan, who's a transhumanist. Actually, he was the uh, write-in transhumanist candidate for president in the last US election. And it just deduces this short story that if you stick the Bible into an AI and turn it on, it goes mad and destroys us all. So there's this sort of like parody of the rigor or the, the kind of the stricture of doctrine and how that might be harmful as well. So there needs to be sort of com- conversations about how, how do we inform machines to make decisions already and how much do we assume the decisions that they make are accurate or correct and how much we don't sort of like overblow what they can do. I'd like to go back to this question of whether AI can shed any light on our relationship with the divine. Now, I realise that, you know, whether there's, if you're secular, uh, maybe it's not such an important question. But since 85% of the world identify with one religion or another. So here we have this incredible development, probably as, as transformative, if not more so than the printing press of Gutenberg or various, various moments of, of massive progress. Now we've got this other, other transformation. What impact do you think it's going to have on religion? And secondly, what impact, if any, will it have on our understanding of, uh, mm. of God? So I think broadly there are probably three regions in which areas in which uh, religion will be impacted specifically by AI. And I've, I've laid these out in an article before, so I have them well rehearsed. <laughs> so firstly, I think artificial intelligence will change society in a socioeconomic sense. Well, you know, with the rise of automation, humanity will have to rethink for what we've had for a very long time as a conception of what the human being is for from the secular direction. We'll have to rethink what the what the purpose of the human being is for. And religion of any stripe, of any kind, has the potential, therefore, to provide answers that it has already worked through for centuries, hundreds of years, thousands in some cases. So there, there is a, an opportunity to be part of a conversation after being pushed out of the conversation by this rhetoric of secularization and the assumption of ir- irrationality that's not accurate at all. Secondly, I think that it will raise questions that religion has been looking at in terms of creation. So if we're going to go ahead, theoretically, and create a sentient being, what 
questions does that open up in terms of our own creation? In other words, the sort of the divine aspect of us, because we're creating something. Yeah, so that. is it, as um, I think her surname is First, First, I can't remember how to say it, it suggests, is it, could it, could it be conceived of as a co-creation with God, as a continuation of evolution or a moment of creation, as some creationists will think of creation in terms of a moment? Is this, for the created being, the sentient machine, is this as though we are gods in that moment Such creating? Such an question. You know, we don't have proof of creation. Some people obviously believe that they do. I tend towards evolution. So could could we see robots sort of looking, robots or AI or whatever, looking at us and saying, this is our creator being? Well, let's just pick that point up for mm. a moment before we go to the third one, because yeah. I find that absolutely fascinating, because we, we talk about being co-creators mm-hmm. in terms of biblical language. We talk about imago Dei being yeah. made in the image of God. Yeah. And of course, this would be the first time in the history of humanity, I think, that we would actually create mm. another being. Mm. We've created huge amounts of this, that and the other, but never another sentient being. Mm. So that's quite a significant stage in our development, isn't it? Yes. I mean, well, I'm sort of tempted to say we might have created sentient beings before in the sense of domestication of animals. So the increased interplay between humans and certain species, dogs being an obvious example, cats are sentient, but they don't like us very much. (laughs) I am a cat person, seriously. Uh, But we have interrupted their evolutions before and directed them in ways that, you know, debates about consciousness go on but they do seem to behave intelligently and of course we've 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 interrupted them both positively and negatively absolutely so to be attack dogs and and to be used for violence as well as to be you know domesticated pets to Mm -hmm. give us company so you know if you draw that kind of parallel out it's i suppose it is possible to see that relationship played out again between the human and the dog and the human and the machine but the machine's intelligence that we're speculating on would be more so than a dog. So does it turn around with much more consciousness and look at us and say, this is a disappointing creator god? Or does it look beyond us and say, well, this, this creator god human has all these books about a creator god. Should I skip over the human and get to that theological concept? Or does it give up on the concept of creation at all and say, well, this just happened because someone turned a So we've got a kind of secularization thesis that we talked about at the beginning. And in a way, we've got a humanization Mm. or even dehumanization thesis in theory. Perhaps, perhaps they just see us as hugely disappointing. It's a counterpoint to the the assumptions about a dystopic future if we get super intelligent machines and they destroy us all because we're like ants to them. Actually, maybe they just drift off like Martin Rees's mind children or more of mind children this idea of perhaps human consciousness doesn't make it out into space but our mind children our machine children actually do going back to your point about socioeconomic change Mm -hmm. and the the potential amount of freeing up that that gives us as human beings whether to indulge in religion or other things I wonder if there isn't a very positive scenario here that that we we have freedom to interrelate to each other much better as human beings and and to care for each other better and and Mm. the AI is helping us in a sort of different sphere. Yeah, so you get you get a vast range of perspectives on a kind of post-work future scenarios. For everything from, yes, the optimism of we'll have more time for each other, we'll do charitable work because we'll have be freed up to do so, we'll travel, we'll create great poetry and great art. And I certainly hope that's 
that's more the case than my slightly more pessimistic, cynical side that says actually we'll become like the big fat people in Wally, the science fiction film by Pixar, where they just sort of entertain themselves all day and eat lots of food and watch lots of telly. And I, I sort of oscillate between the two, between hopeful and not so hopeful sometimes. Depends how you wake up in the morning. Yeah. And what about the third area? So we touched on yes. co-creation. Uh, so the final area is sort of reinvigoration of interest in these big questions, which can come out in the development of new religious movements, which obviously, like I said, I have a background in looking at new religious movements. So I've been paying attention to some of the transhumanist groups who some, as I say, they replicate religious language for metaphorical reasons. Some do it for slightly more pragmatic reasons. They've explicitly said they want to form religions to encourage people to get involved in transhumanist ideas, to sort of elevate civilization, not necessarily out of pure religious belief, but just because it's useful. And then you do potentially get people who think that future artificial intelligence could be godlike and we should prepare for that. In terms of, of children, I'm aware that both you and I have kids uh, of, of, of different ages and uh, I'm aware of how useless I am in comparison with my kids, whether the use of technology and communication and I call it the fat thumb syndrome, <laughs> you know, when you sort of yeah. send a message on WhatsApp or whatever and it goes off way before it should have done. Now, where will our kids be in 30, 40, 50 years' time mm. in terms of their relationship with AI? What, what, yeah. what, how do you help us envision what that looks like? Well, we're, we're already seeing instances, like I was speaking earlier about, you know, you don't really have to get to questions about strong AI to see where interactions are already starting. So Alexa being a chatbot that's in the home, lots of reported accounts of how children interact with Alexa. Uh, there was a download or an add-on you could get for Alexa to encourage them to be polite to Alexa, which lots of people say, why would you bother being polite to Alexa? It's a tool, you don't have to. My take on this is that, you know, sort of a form of manners maketh man or mankind, that how we behave to things that operate in person-like ways reflects more on us than it, you know, it doesn't upset Alexa to be to be impolite to her. So they will, children will, be interacting with AI in ways that we might not even be aware of as well. Um, so social media, increasingly, the invisible killer robots I was mentioning, the algorithms behind the scenes, they're informing what they get to see, what kind of links and connections their minds will be made making as social media makes them in front of them. And we've got to think very long and hard about you know, how is that how is that going to affect them if if the kind of social media bubble that we're becoming increasingly aware of is there from such a young age and it is informed by algorithms and machine learning we have to think about how that operates but uh, you know personally my, my son um, is just about kind of six he's coming around to what mummy does for a job um, and I say I study robots which is like the most simple simple way I can put it and he, he will come up with new robots for me to build I don't build robots and I've seen this with other school kids as well they have fantastically broad and exciting ideas about what this technology should do, whether it can do it or not, you know, send robots into black holes and find out what's inside. That level of literacy in the technology is there from so early on and is shaped by primarily science fiction, obviously, that we have to think about what narratives are being put out there and presented. But they have that literacy, don't they? That that knowledge that we don't automatically have. And, and again, it's purely in my own personal experience that I feel quite confident about the future in terms of their ability to separate the wheat from the chaff, mm. much more so than our generation. I'm, oh, I'd like to be hopeful about that. I, I am concerned about the effect of things like fake news. I don't like that as a term particularly, but no, the, agree, the, the, the influence of stories, misinformation. misinformation. I am also very concerned, as I've mentioned, of the future of work. How do we prepare 
children for a future where more and more intellectual tasks will be taken over by AI and automation. But we're moving towards a three-day weekend, aren't we? I mean, I, I can see yeah. that happening quite soon. There's a country just trialled it and it worked really well. Wasn't New Zealand? Yeah, Someone's something. That's me. right, New Zealand. Yeah, exactly. so it so. worked really well because our week structure is based on farming and agriculture and we don't have that. And obviously the long summer holidays, which we're in the middle of. We, we have to rethink how society works when we shift away intellectual labour. Everyone keeps going back to the Industrial Revolution saying, we've been through it before. It was fine. It wasn't fine for your local blacksmith, actually. And we should think of it in much more granulated ways than we survived the Industrial Revolution. But when it comes to the intellectual labour that's being taken over, we have to think, what are the parallels in history? Where have we seen this happen before? What kind of shifts and changes have we seen? And I think we're already seeing movements towards attention-based labour instead of physical or intellectual labour. So, you know, the YouTuber generation gets hugely mocked, but people are finding new ways to find purpose in their life, whether you agree it's facile or shallow or not, or you find worth in it. People are reshaping how their living looks. Do you think it's possible that, um, looking back on this, we, we mm. might think it was so terrible then that, you know, people were rude to Alexa, that there might be a sort of a moral shift there's some very disparate voices on that conversation. So you get people like the wonderful Joanna Bryson, who's in Good in the Machine, who has written a piece called Robots Should Be Slaves, like because they are tools and they will always be tools, up to people who have much more kind of wider cosmology of being interpretations of rights and saying, well, at some point, if we get to sentient beings, we should have rights. Um, I wrote a piece for the conversation where I wanted to unpick our assumption that we would still have a master-slave relationship, whether or not they were sentient or not. The assumption was, at some point, we'll have devices that will make our lives better. And some of the early framings of that conversation in the 60s was using the vocabulary of slavery. And actually, we should be trying to get somewhere beyond that. That It's not whether they're sentient beings in the future, but actually, us as human beings should be trying to be better than that and not just trying to replace the historical slaves that we've had with mechanical slaves. Well, I mean, animal rights is... Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it? Yeah. You know, the whole yeah. point about that. I mean, yeah. everything's history is getting faster and faster. There was yeah. only so long ago we were discussing animal rights. We haven't got that sorted out, and we're already starting to have conversations about robot rights. We're not there with the technology, but because you get anthropomorphic-looking robots like uh, Sophia, the handsome robot, who is not a brilliant piece of technology but looks very human-like, we start getting questions about rights. She's a citizen of Saudi Arabia or honorary citizen of Saudi Arabia. And that opens up this Pandora's box of questions early. Well, that's a wonderful way to end this episode of uh, Encounter. Beth Singer, thank you very much. Thank you, too. Thank you. Well, we'll be back with you in a fortnight discussing another topic in the relationship between religion and society. Thanks for listening. <laughs>